this morning, I want to take you to an upper room or an upper chamber in the city of Jerusalem. A group of men there are seated around a table. They've celebrated a feast together. In fact, what they have celebrated was the feast of the Passover. A Jewish feast. A festival. Yet as you look around the room, there's a certain sadness there. There's a certain gloom that fills the air. You see their leader, who is sitting there among them, has told them that he is going to be going away. He has told them that one of their own number is going to betray him. One of their own number is a traitor. One who's sitting there with them, one who is eating with them, one who has broken bread with them, has sold their leader out to his enemies. And Jesus scanned the room. And as Jesus scanned the room, his eyes landed on Peter. Peter. Peter was the one who was probably the most outstanding of all of Jesus' disciples. To be sure, no man ever sank lower and no man ever rose higher than Peter did. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to try and sift you as wheat. But I'm going to be praying for you. I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail you. Alright, let's go from that scene of sadness and gloom and dejection and downhearted despair to another scene. And this scene is also one of despair and melancholy. At this point, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas. He's been crucified there on Calvary's hill. He's been buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And the betrayal, the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus, that's all left its gloomy, baneful, disconsolate effect written as deep as midnight on the hearts of these followers of Jesus Christ. Just a few days earlier, for the followers of Jesus, there was hope on their face. There was a hope written on their face as bright and as beautiful as the morning sun in the eastern sky. But now Jesus is dead. And now that Jesus is dead, their world is as gray and as cold and as bleak and as dark as a winter's day in January. God has departed. And they stood helpless at the edge of a dark abyss, the darkest imaginable. They are utterly dejected. And their lives have been attacked by the demon of despondency. I want you to think about that this morning. What can be more deadly and more aggressive 
than dejection, despondency, and depression. It sank its fangs into God's great leader Moses. It submerged Job in its very ashes. It foiled David and it sent Elijah into a cave. It chilled the soul of John the Baptist while he was in prison and it turned Peter into a cursing denier of Jesus. Our text this morning finds the disciples of Jesus in the vice-like grip of dejection, despondency, and depression. Their words and their actions in our text are at the very best the language of despair and utter hopelessness. Here's how Dr. Luke records it for us. It's in Luke chapter 24 and verse 21. But we trusted that it would have been He that would have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, Today is the third day since these things were done. That's Cleopas and his companion walking on their way home to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And they had a good reason to be discouraged and dejected and depressed. Because you see, their vision of a more beautiful and brighter and better world had vanished before their very eyes. Three years earlier, these men and others had left their former lives behind them because they saw Jesus. And they saw in Jesus the dawn of a new day. They saw in Jesus the herald of a better world. They envisioned a world with rays of light where the world had been enveloped in darkness. They'd been captivated by Jesus, by His personality, by His purposes, by His power and His miracles. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they left the fishing boats and followed Jesus. Matthew abandoned his position as a tax collector and he followed Jesus. These men weren't saints as we refer to the term saints today. They weren't the cream of society. They weren't scholars. They were just ordinary men. And for three exciting years, they had followed Jesus. They had heard His matchless messages. They had felt the pulse of His power. They'd been inspired by His works. They'd been made new by the Spirit of Jesus. Because of Jesus, they had brighter hopes. And because of Jesus, they had deeper convictions. They had higher ideals. They had a sharper, keener insight into things. But the one who had changed their lives, the one who had made them different, had been betrayed. One of their own group, 
One of those they had spent three years with side by side and shoulder to shoulder had sold him out. And then he'd been forsaken by the others as they all ran away scared. So disheartened, disappointed, dejected, depressed, they faced the past. Because as as far as they were concerned, there's no future out there. There's no future out in front of them. As they looked at things, they faced irretrievable disaster. You see, they got Jesus wrong. They had envisioned Jesus on the throne of an earthly kingdom. And in their mind's eye, they had seen themselves in places of importance and in places of authority. The chief places in that kingdom. They'd even argued among themselves about who was the most important. They'd even argued among themselves about who was going to have the greatest position in this new administration. In fact... The very last night they were with Jesus, when they ate the Passover meal with Jesus, and Jesus girded Himself with a towel and washed their feet, while Jesus humbled Himself and washed their feet, they're arguing about who's the most important. But at this point, walking home from Emmaus that day, they felt their dreams for the world's emancipation from sin was nothing but an illusion. We trusted it would be Him that would deliver Israel. That was the dream they had had for three glorious years. Defeated, lost humanity was yearning for salvation. And you can't really blame these men as they said, we had hoped, we had hoped that He was the one They said it almost in an undertone. They had gone from the mountaintop of expectancy to the deep valley of despair. They had left everything to follow Him. The One who pledged deliverance from sin. And seemingly Jesus had disappointed them. And so now, their latter state was in their mind, 10,000 times worse than their first. It had been said of Jesus, He shall save His people from their sins. Instead, they had seen the blackness of death descend upon their hope. Here's the thing. They should have been able to keep their faith up. They should have been able to keep their courage up. Jesus had told them. He told them He was going to have to go to Jerusalem. He told them that He was going to be crucified. Over and over, Jesus told them of His coming death. But they just didn't get it. They just couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend Because they were still looking for an earthly kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. Their concept of Christ's kingdom was a concept cast entirely in the mold of an earthly kingdom. 
to be sure. There had been growing opposition to Jesus and they had witnessed it. But they could not visualize the growing coming catastrophe. They could not visualize the catastrophe that was going to result in the crucifixion and death of Christ. But going to Jerusalem, eating the Passover, instituting the Lord's Supper we observed just a moment ago. Those were all links in the chain of events that Jesus had been trying to prepare them for. They should have studied the prophets. And maybe then they could better comprehend the teachings of Jesus. They would have known He was going to be crucified, but He was going to rise again. Then again, is that perhaps not a major fault with all of us today? We don't search the Scriptures and we don't seek to know the teachings of the Scriptures as we ought. When things are at their worst, Christians should be at their best. Did you hear what I said? When things are at their worst, Christians should be at their best. And that's a lesson these folks should have learned from Jesus. There are times when nothing but uncompromising fidelity can keep us loyal. But in our greatest hour of need, and in our darkest night of despair, Jesus is going to be there. Do you remember what He said in Matthew 28 and verse 20? He said, Lo, I am with you most of the time. No, He didn't. He said, Lo, I am with you always. Every hour, every day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. The disciples of Jesus should have known this. They should have remembered their experience on the sea that night. When the storm was raging, threatening to capsize their boat. And Jesus was asleep in the back. And the storm couldn't wake Him, but the cry of His frightened disciples woke Him up. And He rebuked the seas and the wind. He said, peace be still. And there was calm. They should have remembered that. They had seen Him feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. They knew the power of Jesus. What they should have done. And what we should do. Is take counsel of our faith. Instead of our fears. Our fears are something that we should never consult. Had those men consulted their faith. They would have been filled with confidence. That would have remembered that Jesus had said He was going to rise the third day. And if He can rebuke the wind and the sea and calm the seas, and if He can raise the dead and heal the sick and make the lame to walk, well, then He can rise from the third day just like He said. But tragically, they were so blinded by doubt and fear 
they could not recognize Jesus. Because you see in our text, Cleophas was talking to Jesus when he said those words. Hope was born out of despair. Luke 24, 15 said, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. So guess what? Things weren't nearly as bad as they seemed. They seldom are. Sometimes for us, things seem as black as midnight with all the stars punched out and the moon dark. We find ourselves bruised and battered and hopeless and at the end of our rope. But we look up to God. And we pray. And we fan the embers of our faith. And that's when the Lord lifts us up to new heights. There's always more than one way to view a situation. There's always more than one way to look at things. If you turn on the television today or you open a newspaper or you turn on the radio, if you listen to the news reports of the condition of our nation today, Total despair will completely overwhelm you. If you listen to some news reports, and you really take it to heart, and you really dwell on it, you don't even need to do any Christmas shopping. We're going to all be dead before Christmas. We're not going to Breckenridge for another... I may never get to see Mason again, because we're not going to Breckenridge for another six weeks. And listening to the news reports, it's going to be a hopeless situation by then. But if by some miracle we survive this global pandemic that everybody is wringing their hands over, if we can manage to stockpile enough toilet paper to get through this, it's not going to matter because global warming is going to bring an end to life as we know it in the next 10 or 11 years anyway. But, if we survive the pandemic, and if we survive global warming, we can look forward to endless political speeches, press conferences, and talking heads on television. It's enough to make you say, come Lord Jesus right now, take me. Here's the point. Sure, we face challenges, and sure, we face trials, and certainly it's something to be serious and to take seriously. But, folks, things could be incomparably worse. There are radical anti Christian forces on the loose in this nation that, if they had their way, we wouldn't be doing this meeting this morning and we'd never meet again. Think what it would be like if we were deprived of freedom to worship. Think what it would be like if we had our liberties taken away from us. 
You see, in this year that's an election year, we need to realize something about the freedom we enjoy. None of us in this room have ever known anything other than the freedom to assemble and worship God just like we're doing this morning with nobody from the government telling us we can't do it. But the rights that we enjoy in this country were expensive privileges. The freedoms that we enjoy and the rights that we take for granted could not be purchased with silver and gold. They were more costly than that. Ask the colonists. Most of those men that signed the Declaration of Independence where they said, to this end we pledge our lives, our fortune, our sacred honor, most of them died broke. Or go back in history and ask Washington and the men whose feet were freezing and bleeding at Valley Forge what it cost for us to be able to assemble and worship God the way that God would have us do it. It was Washington himself who once said, Someday, when men don't have to risk their lives for it, this freedom will seem to be an easy thing. Things could be worse for us as a nation than they are. Just like things could have been worse for these disciples than it was. Individuals and nations do not fail because of hard times. They fail and they fall when they play around the flesh pots and lounge on beds of ease. That was the case with Babylon. Rome decayed in the days of its overfed ease. Our country was built on great ideals and heroic sacrifices. It was dauntless courage that caused them to face the perils of an uncharted Atlantic Ocean. Our country was not built by cheap politicians looking to the next election. It was built by the courage of facing haunting poverty, starvation, and sickness. That's the kind of courage we need today. For those disciples that were disheartened and downhearted, there was anchorage for them in the storm. It seemed that things were at their worst. Their hearts were the saddest. But what does Luke tell us? Jesus went with them. Have we not all of us, at some point in our Christian experience, had Jesus go with us in the dark and lonely hours of life? In times of trouble, Jesus is there to strengthen us, to comfort us. You remember the song we sang a moment ago? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It wasn't by accident we sang that this morning. Because if we belong to Jesus Christ, we can trust Him. 
If Jesus Christ is the Lord and Master of our lives, we can trust Jesus. But if we're going to belong to Jesus and be able to trust Him, we've got to be obedient to His will. We have to, in simple trusting faith, confess His name, repent of sins, and be buried in baptism for the remission of past sins. When we do that, we belong to Christ. And when we belong to Jesus and when we can trust Jesus, then when our hopes are broken, we can trust Him. Darkness may surround us. Night may come and the lights may go out. Midday can turn to midnight, but if I belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus will go with me through that dark night. And if I belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus can turn midnight into morning. Do you need to make changes to belong to Christ? This is now the time to do that as we stand and while we sing.